I can't speak for anyone but myself. For me, there's, I have a very, very specific tone in the main guitar that I use. And I have, you know, many copies of that guitar as a signature model. So it's also, you know, being, you know, it's being made more than once. So I often am finding that I need to break away from that tone specifically. And there's certain, I don't know, there's certain guitars that just, they do, they do different things. But I'm in, I'm in sort of swap in and out mode right now. There's a couple of guitars that have just not been played for a while that need to find new homes. And, and then there's certain things that I'm like, well, I mean, I'm never going to let go of that because that's one of a kind or completely amazing or, you know, but I think it's mainly like the guitar is a, a tool of inspiration, right? So you pick, you pick it up and you want it to speak. And, you know, some of the ones I have, they're, they've done that for years. And some of the ones I have are like, nah, we're, we, need to, we need to be in someone else's hands. So we'll see. Are you kind of naturally prone to guitar hoarding to some degree? <laughs> I mean, I say this as somebody who has like a ridiculous number of books in his New York City apartment. So, Well, look, you know, listen, listen, there's a really, really easy way to answer this, which is, you know, how many, how many guitars just do you need? How many guitars does a guitar, does anyone need? Do you know how many? Uh, is it, is it, and I, it's a standard I, answer to this. Is it one or? No, it's one more. It sounds like you're doing better. I assume since you're, you're in, I'm in Queens, you're in Brooklyn. I assume that you're dealing with similar spatial constraints where you live. The truth is that if something sits in a case for too long, it's, you know, it's like RuPaul says, if you haven't worn it in a year, get rid of it. It's the same thing with guitars. If you haven't played it in a long time, it's not serving any purpose. It's certainly, there's certainly someone else out there that could use it. So, you know, pass it on. So I'm, I'm trying to make that happen. Do you tend to just have like one specific one in rotation for a while? Or are you going out of your way to switch between them? No, here's what, here's the thing. I have, I have this signature guitar with Ovation and I, it's been my main guitar since like really since day one of my career, for sure. That's, that is the go-to and that's the thing that you hear on all the albums. Um, and so and everything else is like, complimentary or you know in conversation or whatever with that guitar so you know it's um something that either breaks out of that sound or makes that sound interesting to come back to on an album or in a live set um so the the other guitars that i use typically aren't just straight up normal six strings they've kind of you know sometimes they're 12 strings or they're tiny 12 strings or they're an electric or a weiss and born so anyway something that just breaks out of that tone what is that process like of finding i guess what your signature tone is i mean the, the closest thing i can kind of think of is like i talk to a lot of stand-up comics you know and and it, and it takes like years and years for them to really re- refine what their uh, delivery style is you know it's just it's, it's very much the same especially when you're an instrumentalist it's like you can't define it. You know it when you see it. It's like with a comic, you might read a tweet or a joke. You're like, I bet that person wrote that. And you can't really explain why or break it all down. It's just, it's, it just has their voice. And I think that, you know, similar um, in, in, in music and in instrumental music and instrumental composition, that's, that's very similar. Like no one else would do that. Or that's a phrase I've heard before. Or that's a tone or a tuning or some kind of, you know, this, the, all the subtleties, the type of guitar, the type of strings, are you playing with nails or not? How kind of, you know, kinds of, what kind of finger picking you're doing? And that all, all the little tiny things add up 
to create your own voice. Is it an active act, though, of searching for something that is uniquely your own tone? I think so, because, I mean, it takes it takes years. And, and you know, we talk about tone, and I'm, I'm really referring to timbre. What we really want to speak about is composition. How do, how do you distinguish your writing style from everyone else's? And so that goes into, I mean, you know, it begins with the sound of your guitar and goes from there. So it's, you know, delivery, aggression, subtlety or not, you know, it's all like the weird kind of balance. Um, timing, timing is a big one. And, you know, and all of the above. And so it, as far as the practice, it's weird. I find that for me, I worked my whole life to be in a place where you could listen to a song and know it was me without without opening my mouth that you could you know that that was part part of what i wanted to build as an artist was an instrumental guitar player and it, among all kinds of fantastic guitarists in the world where you could actually go i think that is her tune the result is that now that i've gotten there i need <laughs> i have to now I'm, I have to now break out of it and do something else because, you know, to me, I don't want to, I don't like repeating myself too often. You described it, I guess, similar to prose writing style. And, and I assume within a, a certain tone, within a certain style, you still have a fair amount of freedom, right? I mean, you're still able to express yourself in different ways and you're still able to to reinvent yourself. But it sounds like you are... Are you, I mean, is it, is it specific to now or is it something that's been ongoing throughout your career where you felt the need to really find a way to break out of that? No, no, no. I think that, oh man, I think it was Russell Simmons that said to the Beastie Boys when they were like going from a punk band to a hip hop band, like, just, just do it. You're going to, you're going to sound like you. I mean, there's something inescapable about us all. We can't just become things that we're completely not. So I think when you, as an artist, you know, let's say I would let's say that I'm going to go from being a guitarist and I'm going to spend the rest of my life, you know, playing the piano. Like there's just a lot of things on the piano I would never be able to do because I'm me. I'm limited by my humanity. And it's not that I would translate all that I play on the guitar to the piano. It's just that that I'm, I'm just, my example just means that you are in a sense already doing yourself before you even know it. And that can be part of, you know, for, 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 an, for a musician, that could be part of your anatomy, like you're a big person, you like fat strings on your bass, whatever, you know, so it are, you set yourself up in advance. Like there's just a lot, you know, sometimes there's choices and sometimes there's just things that you wouldn't do. So there's a process of elimination. And I think that it just goes and goes and goes until you're kind of settled and then you break out of it and do something different. And then everyone gets mad at you and they're like, we like the old stuff. Do you feel like you're at a a more of a crossroads now than usual when it comes to trying something different? Um, I like trying new things. And I'm found in a, a lifelong process of, you know, I put myself into difficult, uncomfortable situations and there's growth. And not always, sometimes it's just horrible and we ax it and don't go back there ever again. But a lot of times it's like put down the acoustic and pick up the electric. And sometimes it's, you know, put down the normal acoustic and put it on stands and paint it white and project onto it or take away the pedal board and start using plugins in your laptop. You know, all these things that I really don't love doing. Um, I find that are places that lead to lead to better futures and change. And I, you know, there's something funny when I was younger, before my career was doing anything, I worked at, I worked at a club, I worked at the Mercury Lounge, actually. And, um, you know, and so I was working at a music club, and then I was playing music. 
And then I was going and all, all my friends were musicians. So it was just, you know, I, I saw a lot of music. And I would, it would always baffle me personally. Like, I thought I was just missing something when people be like, oh, well, that band sounds just like that other band. So let's go. We're going to love them. And I'd be like, but, and really, I don't think this is common or normal, but I would get, I'd be like, but I just want that one. I'm done. I don't need to hear the same thing over and over. I'm very, I, I'm seeking out new things, even when it like hurts me and everyone around me. So um, that was kind of <laughs> like, but I had, I ultimately, you know, it's not really up to me to say whether I did or did not successfully apply this to my own career because, you know, I didn't know I was having a career until 10 years into it. Um, but I did try to, I didn't want to make the same album over and over again. I knew that. So I tried not to do that. It sounds like some of these kind of, these scenarios, <laughs> it's like two or one that you describe these purposeful exercises and discomfort I guess were in fact uncomfortable that like you didn't particularly enjoy the the processes of executing on them depends you know at some point I had to you know friends up for instance I started playing lap steel around my second album and I was really really bad at it like I really did not get it and I, I mean, my managers used to leave the room like they would leave the, the venue when I was when I broke that thing out the truth is that in 2000, like for instance, in 2004, I had, an, I, I had my second album made, it was coming out, I had done some television, but I was still completely unconvinced that anyone would have a career in solo guitar playing. No, and I don't even know that anyone around me was like, whoa, this is gonna, you're gonna shoot, you know, we're gonna go straight to the moon here. I mean, it was really like, okay, we'll see what happens next. That was fun. So any little thing that happened or any big thing, it was like, wow, that's just crazy. That shouldn't be here. That shouldn't be happening. So I never had a lot of major pressure coming from like my team to, you know, exceed any goal or do something like that. I had a lot, I had a lot of freedom to explore is what I'm saying. And that is a huge blessing and I'm really grateful for it. So in a way it was maybe built into the process. You know, I I was already someone that didn't want to hear the same thing twice if I had, if I didn't have to, but I was also someone who didn't really have any idea of what the length of what was happening at the time was going to be. So I just kind of went with it. I just did what I wanted. Did I hear that right? You, so you were actually playing the lap steel at shows in front of people in spite of the fact that you couldn't really play it? Totally. Sounds terrifying. Well, sure. But like, if it doesn't matter, if there's, you know what I mean? If there are no consequences, it's not, it, that, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's, it wasn't like, okay, I'm, well, and then I did, I did play bad lap steel a number of times on big stages. I can probably name a few, but I just wanted to do it. And again, I really never, ever thought that this would be my life. It's been a, it's been an enormous blessing, but if I, but, and that's the, that, again, that is the blessing. If I had known, if you told me at 22, Hey, um, this record contract you're signing for zero money or whatever is going to be the thing you're going to do for the next 20 years, get ready. I would have been like, screw you. You know, it, it just wasn't, that was not part of my career building decision was, you know, don't embarrass yourself with a, crazy nauseating instrument the expectations on 2004 khaki and expectations on 2020 khaki are very different now that you have actually built a career and you know you have a family now do you find that that now that those to some degree those expectations are pretty firmly in place that it has made it more difficult to be as experimental 
No, I think actually the expectation is that I should be experimental. And I love my fans and I connect with them and I, we get each other, but I don't ever need to do anything to please anybody. And, you know, if I did, I wouldn't be where I am. I think I had to, um, I don't know. I mean, like, what, what am I supposed to do? Go and take a poll about how this tune should sound or how much we should compress this guitar. I mean, you know, it, it doesn't really work like that. And a lot of it's not up to me, 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 personally. It's up to the guitar and the day and the humidity and the vibe and all this, you know, weird stuff that you can't really define, but like is how music is created often. So many factors are, are not under my direct control. Let's talk about some of these external factors. I mean, it sounds like much or most of the most recent record was already written by the time all of this really started happening in earnest, the the quarantine and everything else. Um, How much of a tangible effect though did COVID and everything else around it ultimately have on the songs themselves? The timeline was really interesting because we started March 2nd. That was day one of the studio and we were going to work fast. And when I say we, it was myself and Chloe Thompson and Arjan Miranda and they uh, live at their studio. They, they're in, they are partners. So we get into the studio and we start, I start laying down guitar tracks. We start mapping out how this is going to work and listening and talking. And, and then there's like this coronavirus that's in the news. And, but that first week, you know, okay, it was, there were some cases and things were, things were happening when we started, but we made, you know, we made a good progress that first week. And that weekend I recorded some, and there was a party on March 7th uh, for my kid's school that I went to, I played at. And, you know, I remember the organizers being like, I mean, we're going to have hand sanitizer, but I, I don't know. It's maybe, I hope people still come. Like, I hope no one's scared away by these rumors. And, you know, keep in mind, this, this is not, uh, this is not anyone, this is just not having information. Like, for the record, I was... Put, I was putting on a big event for work in Berkeley on March 3rd. And all of this stuff just, it's crazy in hindsight, but obviously it, ha- it, it happened really slow and really fast all at the same I time. Think, yeah, I mean, I think when you really look at it, it happened really fast. But the first week that di- what did happen, okay, I'll, I'll just mention these things that touched the record. First of all, we all lost a ton of money that first week because things were being canceled. And it was very, very stressful. I, I mean, I lost a lot of gigs because it was like, well, clearly we can't have a big gathering like tomorrow. So that's not going to happen. Anyway, week two was really, really bad. Um, it, me- it meant that going into the studio and listening to mixes and was like the safe world, you know, and then stepping outside and getting on our phones and finding out what's going on and the new rule and the new thing and the new case. And the, I mean, it was like, so it was this very weird alternate reality of being in the studio we're like, hey, this music sounds good. But there was clearly a lot of things starting to come into the studio. So I, you know, I wrote a, I wrote a few songs um, in the studio um, that really definitely sanitized and alone is one of them that really affected the, that was affected by the mood. Um, and of course, some of the titles came around, Can't Touch This or That or You or My Face was probably the highlight. Um, and then... The, the city went into full lockdown and we decided that even though they were like right down the street, we just, this is no longer safe. And the last night where we had gone, we have the, we, so we did a final mix, you know, separated. 
And um, like the last song that we were working on, it was done. We were signed off on it. And I get a text and um, Chloe says, Arjan has a fever. And I was like, oh, ho-hum. Great. Was that your first instinct when you heard somebody had a fever that it was COVID? No, I was like, oh, please, you know, buddy. And then, yeah, so we we all got COVID, um, <laughs> which, you know, wasn't great. No, it's not ideal. I have a, had a, I mean, whatever. Someone tested positive. Everyone had, everyone had antibody tests, et cetera. Um, and I couldn't taste or smell. And it was very sci-fi and weird. So that's kind of the weird story of making the album is that it was made like, it, it was a, you know how they make those weird documentaries about like those two weeks or those that one month or that, you know, I feel like it was like that. It was like, <laughs> you know, leading up the lead up really is what it was. And yeah, so that is, that's the, the, the album story. And, you know, certain things also, um, the song Say Say, uh, I had created a new show called Say, which is six in Italian. And I had done it with a friend of mine who is heavily, heavily pregnant. And we'd actually performed it in, like, on leap year day. So February 29th, 2020. So, like, imagine February 29th, I'm screaming into the face or leaning in, breathing heavily into the face of a pregnant woman while playing guitar, you know? We decided, you know, all of us, that it wouldn't be safe for her to come. So Say Say is a song of five, it's meant to have sort of two people playing and surrounded by different guitars on stands. Well, it ends up just being me. Um, And not really sure that I could pull it off. And I went in there and I kind of just messed around a couple times and they took some takes and I was like, I don't know guys, I'm not really feeling this. And they're like, no, it's perfect. Leave it. We're going, we're moving on. Things weren't great before COVID happened. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like everything was, was, you know, smooth sailing. And then all of a sudden this thing happened not. more so than usual, I would say over the past, I don't know, three and a half years or so. Um, how much of a, how much of a marked effect do you think like, ultimately that so, those sort of <clears throat> externalities have on the music that you make i don't know how to answer that anymore i used to write music when i had a breakup and write music when things were bad or hard or sad and now i know that all of that stuff is it's all an inside job like i actually do have some control over my 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 like my own personal well-being and i'm not talking about you know, don't be sad or depressed. I'm not saying that that it's just more like, you know, whatever is affecting me is, is kind of my shit. And I'm have a lot better handle on that as a, as a, you know, older, wiser person. That said, there is still plenty of stuff to get really, really, really effing bummed about all the damn time. So my music and my work and whatever, I, it's not of the time. It's not for the time. It's to escape the time. It is, that has how music's always functioned for me. It's never brought, it's never brought me into focus of, of exactly what, you know, it's never, it's never done anything, but like clear the weeds and maybe knock a thought loose. Um, that helps me, you know, get to a solution. But, and I, so that's what my own music kind of does for me when I play it or record it. Um, it's just there and it just sits and doesn't, it, it's like, it, it's not, I'm not trying to push anybody or really frankly say anything. I'm kind of trying to do the opposite. I'm trying to allow my brain, your brain, whoever likes it, that, that, that space 
for nothing to be occupied for, you know, the, the mind to wander and suddenly like, Oh, I know how to solve that problem. Or, Oh, I need to call my congresswoman or, Oh, I need, you know, like just like bringing into clarity. And I think that music can do that. I think gardening can do that. I think running or swimming, there's plenty of things that do it. But for me, I use music. And so I don't really know what it's about. If one of the primary objectives or at least kind of the happy consequences of it is that it is meditative for people, it must be difficult to choose a title, right? Because that's the first thing that people see and that's the thing that people associate with it. Oh, yeah. And, and there's a very strong impetus to have that title reflect something in the song. And then there's a story, obviously. And then you're, you know, I'm like making things up that weren't really intended to be there. Yeah, naming instrumental music is, is, is a very big challenge. Um, one that I'm not great at, but I do my best. Is it almost a red herring sometime? Are you almost like, are you throwing people off the scent? There is no scent, really. There's no intention. There, honestly, if there was, I would. I don't think I would try that. But no, it's it's really like, it, hopefully it's evocative and it works. You know, it's kind of like being in a museum and going into a room and there's two things and it's sort of work together, maybe, hopefully. It's okay if they don't. They're still two distinct things. It's not a case where it's, uh, you know, the where it's like an afterthought where the, ti- the time comes and you have to create a, a track listing. That is literally exactly what it is. Oh, that is what it is. Okay. Okay. (laughs) No, no, like, fair enough. The time comes, I got to make a track listing. I have, everything is a temporary title. Everything's like, you know, song in, you know, B tuning, final number 12. And that's the dot W-A-B. And then I make it, yeah, it's all, you know, pressure and deadlines are really helpful in, in those circumstances when you have to do something that I find tedious and boring and, um, but also, like, is am I going to regret this? <laughs> What's an instance of a time that it was just like this? I this was a terrible thing to name this song, or that it's like saddled the song with the name. You know, now it's just like in it, I don't even hear it anymore. But there's certainly been some weird ones. Like, you know, I have a song. I mean, I have an album with a song called First Brain, and then I named a song Second Brain. What? Companion pieces. What does that mean? What's happening? What's an example of a time where? It was serendipitous. What's a time where, where those, those two things have really played off each other really well? I'm going to have to bring up my Spotify. It was funny because like, I was listening to some interviews that you were doing a, a while ago uh, for this, this album specifically, and you were like, I can't remember who it was with, but you were, like, you were struggling to come up with the names of the songs you were about to play. I think you had to pull out a sheet of paper to find the track listing. That was, that was either a very new... I think that probably happened when I had named the songs in March. And normally, I think it was from the new record, and I think I know what you're talking about. <laughs> normally, you would name your songs, master them, get the artwork together. You'd be working on this. These titles would be there. It wouldn't just be that one day that you named them all, and then you sent them, and then the whole world shut down. So I think that's what happened is normally the new title that would replace, like, you know, I, like, you know Rain Song or streets or whatever the thing that you were doing at the time you know like pasta song they you know and and so I made these song titles and then I you know completely they were obliterated from my brain because of 2020 um so yeah I think normally I wouldn't be that senile it's just that I didn't spend a single day with these I didn't I never wrote a set list I never emailed anyone you know they weren't released yet so 
Well, you will. Uh, thank you for calling me out on my <laughs> early onset. It seems like there is kind of a disconnect where, where like, yeah. you know, the, you know, it, it, especially if it's kind of a placeholder at some point in the process, you know, rain song, street song, pasta song. Cause I feel like those are specific examples. I know that there was a, I think it was a track named after a street that was very specifically like the process Carmine of you, street. Carmine street. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really just like, isn't it? It's like the rhythm of you walking down the street. That was the temp. Yeah. That was roughly the tempo of me. Like, Doing my rounds, doing my rounds when I lived over there, yeah. When you think of that street and that place and that time of your life, it's very evocative for you and, and the things that were, were going on. Uh, having a specific tempo in real life and using that as kind of the skeletal structure for a song, is that common for you in your process? It's it's hard, right? You know, I, I think that there's, it's hard to, it's hard to bring in something that specific to a song over and over and I know people people do it and they're it's amazing and they talk about where they were and their inspiration but you know to me it's like it, it doesn't matter do I care do I need it can I not put my own place and my own inspiration can I can I how can I situate myself so that's why I like to have as little context as possible because I want people to have freedom to just that have that thing be whatever it is like you know, let's say they're listening to a beautiful song and they feel really, really great about the fact that they're about to go put their cat down. I don't even know. <laughs> like some terrible example. And then they're like, the, but the song title is I Love My Cat. And it's like, well, I do love my cat, but I still have to take it to the vet and it's time. I don't know. I'm, I, this is all very dark and weird. My point is that I just don't like anything. I don't like planning ideas in people's heads. It's much better to just have it be as open as possible. But yeah, but I but but then I, on the, on the other hand, there's really no way to deny that you know your life is going to influence your work. It's just what part of your life. Part of it is just like for you specifically. I assume that your music is evocative just because you remember where you were and what you were doing in that time of your life. You know, I mean, is it is there a sense of these kind of being like you know portals to the time when you wrote them or first played them? Some of them, there's at least one on each record. There's at least one, you know, and the, and there's at least one title, generally speaking, that refers to a thing. Night After Sidewalk, Doing the Wrong Thing, Ahuvati, So Much for So Little, Everything Has an End, Even Sadness. Ugh. A little bit less so in my later work. This is a little bit more King Paisel. That was my sister's. My sister's wedding, she married um, Sean Paisel, and it was the King Paisel wedding. So, you know, yes and no, but we're talking one one tune off of, you know, 10 different records now. Definitely not in the neck as a bridge to the body, because that was very, that was like written to a script. Um, but, you know, this, this latest one, though, I mean, Teak, Godchild, Rhythmic Tiny Sandball Patterns, Final State, Sanitized Alone can't touch this or that, you know, all of those had a lot, they had a lot of meaning, but I hope it's open enough so that it doesn't, it doesn't influence what it does to you. Are you concerned then that then talking too much about the specifics of a given song or what influenced it is, will influence the way that people interact with it? I think if I, I think people look at it as a set of instructions and I would be mis, it would be misleading to give people a guide that isn't actually there or isn't necessary. If the if if the if the music needed footnotes, you'd get footnotes. I just hope that it doesn't. In the case of a song though that's named after 
you know, your wife or your kids. Obviously, there's a lot of pressure on that song to be a good song, I would assume. Listen, I've only named one song after one kid, and that was only because I had two songs prior to that named after. So Jessica, who I married to, I wrote that song when I was 15 years old and recorded it at 25 and didn't meet her till I was in my 30s. And then Bowen Island, which is my son, Bowen Island was like an island in Canada and a friend was living there. And I like literally did that thing where I go like, oh, hey, here's my new track. And I went Bowen Island MP3 because you're there. And that's the name of the song. I've never even been there. But I ended up naming my, my son Bowen. So my daughter didn't have one. And um, so I used to call her Teak. So I named the song Teak. But like, who cares? That, that It's like, you know, let, let Teak take you wherever you need to be. Don't worry about my kid. She's six and she's fine. You know, like if Teak is a very different objective for you emotionally, let's do it. I mean, both of your kids are pretty young. How are they, how are they contextualizing all of what's happening? Like, are, do they understand how weird this all is? Yes, but also they are, they, when, when they say kids are resilient, man, they, they are. My son is luckily, he's three, so he's really not going to have a memory of this moment, I don't think. My daughter is six and, you know, she was in school and then suddenly she wasn't. And she had a lot of bad meltdowns that ended in, I miss my friends. I miss my friends. You know, she's a very, very social child. And so she is fine and, you know, things have changed and they're both attending school again and they both have their friends. And life appears normal, but, you know, occasionally she'll be like, hey, let's go do that. And I'm like, honey, there is no that anymore. She's like, all right, coronavirus. You know, normally we'd be having a huge Halloween party this year we're having a social distance outdoor setup that's going to be fun but you know it's it's but she's a lot more used to it and she has they adapt and we all we all do and did but you know keep in mind too this is not this is we're we're many many months into this and my worry is that this will start to become normal that she won't you know she she, she was five and a half when this started, will it, will this be the thing that she remembers as life being? And then how long does it stay? Um, and when we change out of it, is that going to be the change for her? That's the weird thing. I don't know. I can only speculate, but you know what? They're happy kids. They're fine. They love each other. I really probably worry more than I should. How have you adapted? I mean, you know, it, it sounded like the album was largely or pretty much basically finished by the time that the shit really began here. Yeah, it, it was done. But also, you know, think back to, it was like, oh, we're going to shut down for two weeks. Oh, this is going to, you know, we don't, we, we didn't know what well, we didn't know. And so there was no coming out of making the album. I still was like, let's get this mastered. Let's get these titles done. Let's, and then it became within a month, very clear. Well, I was sick too, so I had to get better. But then, you know, we, it became clear that this was not going to be a short period of time. So yeah, I got to say, I was really grateful. I finished. So the show that all these tunes come from is called Data Not Found. And that was a, a, a new kind of theatrical, technological guitar performance, if you will. I completed that in November of last year. And then I went straight into creating this other show that I mentioned, Say, with my friend and this duo, you know, du duo guitar kind of movement thing that we were, it was really, you know, an experiment, but we had enough to, to do a show and to debut it. And then I made an album and I felt very uh, creatively full by that point. 
Um, and so, and the fact that the album really, the, it, the fact that we finished it, it was done. There was no, nothing was, no loose ends. I think made going into this time period a lot easier because there wasn't a need to do something in this time period, right? Like prove myself. And there wasn't a need to try to fix something or, you know, make something happen that w really wasn't, was going to be far too difficult. So I was able to get out of my, my own head, as they say, and focus on my family. Um, but not going to lie, it was a huge, huge life adjustment. I've never, ever in my adult life been home this long. There's also the very practical, financial part of it all of being a of being a touring musician are you able to as somebody who makes a living off her music it, are you were you able to adapt are you able to find kind of other things in and around music that you're able to help pay the bills no do you hear of anything um no it's dark man i don't want to i don't want to you know like freak out too badly but it's hard it's dark it's not great we're um my wife is working where now we were, you know, when you go to from a double income household to a single income overnight, it's tricky. So yeah, with two kids and, and you know, this feeling that there may be no way out for you for a very, very long time. So I am trying not to go there. I'm trying to focus my, if I have any pity or self pity, I really try to refocus that on people who never got the chance like, can you imagine starting? I mean, and again, we're, we all, musicians, we think we're very special, but we're certainly not. But anyone who is about, this was going to be their year, anyone who is going to break through, any, anyone that was going to start that business or make that record or go on that tour, anything. And what do you do? How long do you wait? How long do you wait before you go, I, I'm going to get that online degree or, or I'm going to put this away or I'm going to sell that synthesizer? Like, how, how, what do you, what do you, how do you operate? And the pain of that. And so a lot of my time has been spent reflecting and being really effing grateful that I got to do it in the first place for 20 years. If it doesn't come back, I will be okay. But for the people for whom it never happened and it should have, oh, make that really, that, that messes me up. I mean, on the issue of making money, you know, the Lord will provide. <laughs> <laughs> in the 20 years that you've been doing this and, you know, it sounds like all or most of it in and around New York City, which is obviously a very difficult place to make a living doing anything, let alone playing music. Did you, did you ever get to that point where you felt like it just wasn't, this path wasn't going to work out for you? No. In fact, that's the, the, you know, similar to what I mentioned earlier, that was this blessing. So there was no path. There was no career. There was no, I'm hello. I'm going to play solo guitar for my life that's that's not what you that's just not a thing if i had been like okay i want to be a pop star and i want these i want a record and i want a tour and i want to sing i can totally understand there being we can talk about the path but at the time it was a freaking fluke and you know i that that's really important to remember because it wasn't as if i was like living in new york city like yeah this, I mean, New York City handed my career to me on a platter with a bow tie on it. It literally, like, it, there was no, I, and I hate to say this. It's like this, it's like if you wrote a bad Hollywood movie about, like, some chick playing guitar and some manager guy stumbling in the bar and buying a beer and seeing her and, like, talking to her and me, I don't want to manage you, and then managing her for 12 years and, like, you know, the, that was my story. 
that is what happened. So there was no, there was no like, this is, this city can break you down and spit you out and, and destroy people. But it, it did the opposite for me. Yeah. <laughs> but keep in mind though, it wasn't as if I was like, okay, like what's the next move? How am I going to make rent? And how am I going to do that? I was just like, well, when this is all over in, you know, a couple months from now, I'll go to grad school. It wasn't like a, there was no need or push or like super ingrained desire. I was already playing guitar. I'd already been playing guitar my whole life. I already had that, you know, that gift was given to me at a really young age through my dad. And so, you know, and I'll play guitar forever too. And and COVID's not going to stop me from being a guitar player. That's not going to go away. Do you get the sense now in, in hindsight that it was your kind of the fact that you were this weird anomaly that was a key to that? Because you could have been in one of like 8,000 four-piece indie rock bands and we never would have heard of you again. That is precisely how it happened. The anomaly factor gave me very little competition. I think competition is really healthy, but in terms of, you know, lift a rising tide would lift all the boats. But I, I really was just so standalone especially at that time that it was just like wow and she gets another gig and there's another gig and there's another tour and how about another record how about another record why don't you change that up a little and go out with a band it just kept going you know it was never there was never a moment on (laughs) never a moment until now did I have that I I didn't have a tour date it was just easy to people were like oh that one one person playing guitar that's not a singer-songwriter signed me up. Anecdotally, between the years of 2004 and 2010, I saw a lot of, I was, you know, I was writing about music and I saw a lot of bands. I saw a lot of opening bands and I saw you open for John Darnielle and I, I remember that like that. There you go. You know, I mean, it, you, you know, I'm, I'm sure I saw 800 other indie rock bands open for the Bouton Goats over the years and have they've just... <laughs> Not, not, not for lack of quality, but that they've all just kind of like faded away. And, and the fact that you were so different and that you were doing, you know, I, I remember very specifically like you using your guitar as a percussion instrument at the time. And that really, that jumped out at me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that being, being a new, a new idea. Now I'm not a new idea. I'm recycling ideas that people have had about guitars for years. And I'm, I'm, you know, very good at taking players who I admire and, learning their stuff and going from there. And that's kind of what I was doing earlier on, but it was just that solo guitar as a, as a concept, it was really popular in the early eighties. and It's much more popular now. It just wasn't around at that point. So, yeah, but I think the most valuable thing to learn from that was not, it was that like, I missed that level of gratitude, you know? Cause now I'm like, Oh, they want me to do what for what? And back in the day I would have done, I, you know, I like, I try to always say, I will do, if you will feed me, I will do that gig. You miss the level of your own gratitude. I miss the level of my own gratitude. I miss the level of my own taking nothing for granted. Cause that's exactly how it was in the beginning. Because I started, I mean, I started playing in the subway and from the subway, someone was like, Hey, you should make a CD. And I made a CD so I can sell it in the subway. This is all after nine 11 when I didn't have a job. I guess my point is that just, it, it, it kept me out of my own way. Cause there was never any like, like there was always a plan B plan B was to go work for my parents or to go figure it out, figure out out elsewhere. The fallback position was not hard to imagine because there, this was not the path. If we're looking for silver linings of the current moment, it, it's that, you know, I'm sure that as much as you like what you do, I'm sure that there are a lot of times where touring has just been 
grueling and a, and a nightmare and you know you didn't want to play shows and obviously spending a year or so out of it you've had bad shows or you've had rough nights you you know things have here's the thing yes i've had shows where like people didn't turn up but like playing guitar for anyone's fucking awesome you never took that for granted no if any if one person drives look especially now we are so spoiled for choice it's crazy and the fact that someone chose me over Netflix, you know, Instagram, any number of amazing restaurants that are everywhere now, food, food had suddenly music, music stopped competing with um, streaming. I mean, you know, down, illegal downloads and uh, had to start competing with food and no one talks about this, but like, I don't know about, I don't know how old you are, but like when I was growing up, I'm 40, I'm 41. No one, no one, no one young cared about food, like at all. And I mean, I'm talking about people in their twenties and all of a sudden you've got like, you know, it's the choice whether I go see a band play or an artist, or I like go to that cool restaurant that everyone's talking about. I mean, it was like, not it, so there's so much competition. So if anyone chooses me and I get to play guitar, that it's all, that's the best. That is the effing best. The travel, the exhaustion, the where am I? <laughs> like, you know, I'm very good at that. I'm very, fairly used to it. But no, I could sell that. That could go away in a, in a heartbeat. But playing guitar for people is awesome. And a bad show is just as bad as I want it to be. You seemed like you were trying to make a concerted effort to be more grateful, but it doesn't sound like it's been a problem. I don't usually have an amount of nostalgic or reflective gratitude. I'm usually like, okay, you know, here we are, the moment's good, we're, 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 you know, we're okay, and let's be thankful, but I mean, I got to go to some crazy places, I got to see the world, I've been to Australia 12 times, like, I, I've, you know, I've, I've scuba dived the Great Barrier Reef more than once, and I wrote that off, I mean, <laughs> like, you know, I've, I've really gotten to, like, I really, really got to do it in big ways and small ways and everything in between. And so I'm, I'm, I, I'm reflecting these days. And again, you know, for the people who really deserved it and didn't get it, and they're now choosing a different path like that, I, I don't know, I, I really obsess about that. You didn't take for granted the process of making music or the fans or the people that listened to it, but maybe you took for granted some of the places it brought you. There you go. Yeah, because you're right. The whole thing about touring is like, oh, I'm tired. Oh, it sucks. Oh, and it does. It's a lot of not seeing stuff. But then there's a lot of seeing and there's a lot of opening up to different people in an audience every single night. There, that has ne- I've never had a gig so bad that I wouldn't do that again. You know, I've never sat, I've never had a gig, I've never been on stage and it's been so awful that I think to myself, I would never repeat this. I know I'm lucky for that too. 